Hey, good morning. My name is Sean. I'm the lead pastor here for Redemption Peoria. If you don't know about Redemption, we're one church. We have uh, nine different congregations, very specifically elder-led, lead pastor-led, and you are at the uh, Redemption Peoria congregation. Let's jump right into it because we have a text. um, A lot of you guys know my story, right? So um, growing up in uh, just a a broken home, and, and when I get saved, my wife and I, when we get saved, we get saved in something called the charismatic movement. Um, and this is still alive and well today, and I'll define some terms in a minute if you don't know about um, a lot about that or what that is. But anyway, um, I get saved and end up going to a small church which ends up closing down for financial reasons, and we end up going to something called, uh, well, I won't name the church specifically, but just it's an Assemblies of God church. And we end up um, kind of getting caught up in uh, the wave of the, the, the Pentecostal um, ideas. And so um, let me kind of define some of that because I think it's going to be important as to, to what we're doing with our text today. Um, so basically, um, very early on, the Assemblies of God is tied to this larger chain, which is um, by their own mission, and I want to be real careful here because I have a lot of friends who are still in this movement um, and a lot of friends who are still pastors in, in all this. So um, they, they would declare um, that very early on in the early 1900s, um, they, they had this another type of great awakening in that the Holy Spirit, who'd kind of been um, put on the back burner, which is, in some of that is true um, in the church, we have this idea is that the Holy Spirit's kind of the crazy uncle. We like Jesus. He's cool. We like God the Father. He's cool. But who's this Holy Spirit you keep talking about? And there's a lot of debate as to what his role is. And um, even in some religions like Jehovah's Witnesses, it's not even a he. It's more of a what, a for of power. And so um, there was a lot of don't know how to deal with this. And so early in the 1900s, um, the Assemblies of God and, and many other denominations who end up rooted out of this was this awakening of, of what the Holy Spirit was. And, and so there was kind of a look back at the book of Acts, um, and I want to do this fair, from their perspective, to look back at the book of Acts and say, hey, we want the Holy Spirit alive and well, that, just like we read about in the Bible. And so this movement began to pick up. And so um, you began to have a lot of denominations and a lot of headway being um, put in. You, you have the Azusa Street revivals in California, and um, man, geez, the, the Midwest, it really swept through. That's where the assemblies of God headquarters are. And so there, there's just a, a, a lot of, uh, a lot of good things. I, I would argue getting saved in that, being a pastor in that for 10 years, there's a lot of good things in, um, the charismatic movement, the Pentecostal movement specifically, maybe so you could put some handlebars on, on what I mean when I use those terms. These are usually, um, uh, the guys and gals who, um, are speaking in tongues. There's a big, um, uh, thrust idea on, you receive the, initial, uh, receive the Holy Spirit with the initial evidence of speaking in tongues. And um, this is going to be where you're going to get your flag wavers, which I'm for flag waving if you want to come up and flag wave sometime. Um, but but there's, this, is, this is where my roots were, and this is what I saw. Now, um, there were was, there was some good things in it. I mean, this is the Holy Spirit had rocked my world in, in doing so many things, not just at summer camps, but on Sundays. And there was so many great things in that. But, but there was also a lot of um, detrimental parts of that. And, and my goal is not to uh, in any way demean a part of the body of Christ. If someone talks about my wife, I would, I would be upset, right? And so I don't want to do that. That's not the time for this, but I, I think it's important as we go into this text, you understand how I'm approaching this text if I'm going to try to explain it this morning, okay? So a, a lot of the parts that, that began to go a little haywire is this is also out of the movement where you get some of like the snake handler churches, okay? Um, if you don't, we were looking at this at our community the other day where if they believe if you have the power of the Holy Spirit, you could hold rattlesnakes. When I say hold, I mean like swing around, right? Um, and you won't be bit, right? And if you're bit, it's your time to go. That was just the Holy Spirit show. And so there's a lot of that. And there's also something called the prosperity gospel finds its roots in a lot of um, this charismatic movement. And so when I say that the prosperity gospel, it's 
It's the idea if you turn on channel 21 and they tell you if you give $7, you'll have seven days of blessing. If you give $77, you'll have seven weeks of blessing. If you give $777, then you'll have seven months of blessing. Who knows how much if you give $7,777. So there's this, if you give, then you will get back. And, and so there's this kind of controlling and there's a, a lot of detrimental parts that I've seen firsthand. And in that, in the midst of all that, while that's going on, I'm starting to read the Bible about, I don't know, six or seven years ago and in the midst of, of, of living in that world. And I start to see a lot of things that I disagree with. Now, um, outside of, uh, you know, there's probably two dozen things, but things specifically that I want to bring up is this idea of faith. Like, like I began to see some things that really began to bug me. And, and, and there were things outside of that, that telling kids if they didn't speak in the, least, um, the, the tongues, then they didn't have the Holy Spirit. And just watching them, their lives be wrecked because they didn't feel like God loved them. But, but there was something even more than that because I began to be part of um, certain ministries, guys that literally would prophesy over my family. And, and I began to see like a lot of um, lies. Uh, I, I began to see some, some, some wrong prophecies. I began to see things that, that, but then in the middle of all of this, there's this idea that we, and I say we, cause I was a part of this telling people that if they have enough faith, if they believe hard enough, then they'll be healed. And so, um, I'm reading the Bible and I'm starting to see that like, man, uh, geez, first Peter three seventeen, first Peter four nineteen, uh, Romans five, James one, uh, verse three. Like there's this idea that, that trials and tribulations aren't necessarily a, a bad thing. Like, like we're told to take joy in them. We're told that they're going to bring us to hope. And we've talked about this, right? But at the same time, everyone wants out of this. I see the American dream seeping into this idea of your consumeristic comfortability says, well, that's what Christianity offers. So, so I'm in the Philippines and, and a, a church has sold uh, uh, the, all their money, given away all their money um, that would have provided them a roof so that they can sit in nice chairs because an evangelist came in and said, no, no, you're God's children and you should, you should be sitting in throne-like chairs. And so they spend all their money, not for a roof, so they can have chairs, Right? And like, I'm in, in Ghana and Creflo Dollar's on the screen looking at kids who eat dirt, right? And saying, you need a Mercedes. You need a, you need to drive a Lexus. They're not thinking like that. And I'm seeing this and it's driving me crazy because people are trying to conjure up faith. They're trying to figure this out. I, I want enough faith in it. It makes it headway. One Sunday night, our prayer pastor's on the stage and he's looking at this woman. I mean, we had a good relationship with this woman and she has cancer and she's, man, she's, she's dying. I mean, and she just cannot figure this out. We've been walking with this lady for years at this point, And he's just telling her, you need more faith. You need more faith. And, and she, what can she do? Like, how do, do I, like, put wires together? How, I can't do this. He said, you don't have enough faith. And I just stand up. And I say, who are you to tell her she doesn't have enough faith? And I walk out. Now, that was not the right way to handle it. And I shortly got fired after that. Um, okay. But, 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 but hear me, okay? This was going on inside of me, this idea of having. And so um, for, for so long, I, I, I responded um, in the wrong way because of that. I, I reacted. Like all human nature, my reaction swung the pendulum. And because I saw all the, the bad, like you need faith. You need to conjure up this faith. You don't have enough faith. I swung the pendulum. And anytime someone started to talk about faith, I was like, oh, whoa, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. And I began to, to push against it, and I began to try to dissect it. And then I found myself as this huge skeptic, and I've swung the pendulum so far that I lost my childlike faith. And so I, I share that just as a part of my personal story because 
The text we're going to go at today has everything to do with this thing called faith. And, and, and if you've been in the Reformed world, and, and by that I mean um, uh, the, the world that would say, that would look for the most part sensationist, that would say that the gifts have ceased, um, which I would not affirm, but, but this idea that the gifts have ceased and they're, 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 they're done for, um, or you've been in the, the charismatic world, I feel like um, th- there's a, a chance for us to go to the Bible right now and say, what does the Bible say about this? And, and can we just get at and not be reactive? Because for so long I was so reactive just as to, to what faith is. Because there is a part of this. Um, and Ravi Zacharias would say truth mixed with a lie creates a greater lie. There is a truth in, in the prosperity gospel. There is a truth in the charismatic movement that does talk about you having faith. I mean, that, that is true. Now, how, how do we, we, we combine um, this? How do we do this right? What, what is the biblical approach to this? Because um, the, the, the TBN, the Channel 21, whatever it is, that there's obviously like, what's going on there? I don't know how to explain this. And then we go to the Bible and we see so much suffering. And so um, let's open up our Bibles, if you already haven't, to um, Mark chapter 5. And um, in, in Mark 5, uh, if you don't know, we've been going through the book of Mark just uh, verse by verse, and, and we chose, and man, if you've been here, you've heard this uh, deal probably 10 times, but we chose the book of Mark, and it was perfect for us as a, a church as we started, because day one, we went through the book of Mark because we said, hey, we want to be about Jesus, right? Like what church is trying to say, like, well, I, I don't know, we wanted to be about Jesus, and if we wanted to be about Jesus, we wanted to ask the question, well, what is Jesus about, right? What is Jesus like, um, what does he do, and, and who is he? And so Mark is perfect because if you read the Gospel of Mark, Adrian Smith, the professor at Redeemer Seminaries, calls it a dramatic irony that we as readers get to read the Gospel of Mark, um, but the people in the story don't really know who Jesus is outside of the demons. So they constantly keep asking, who's Jesus? And that's the question we want to ask. Who is Jesus? What is he about? And we have found that he is this kingdom, and everything that he has been talking about has the undertone that he is part of this trinity, he is God, and he is bringing his kingdom to the earth. And, and this is important because um, his, as his kingdom grows, he begins to go about to demons and to, to um, the, the, the sick, and he begins to heal, and he begins to cast out, and he's bringing his kingdom onto the earth where, wherever he goes. And it's, it's some cool pictures. Well, um, what had happened was uh, about three weeks ago, we, we saw that Jesus ends up um, being surrounded by a crowd of people. And so he gets in a boat, and as he's in this boat, he's teaching. And then his disciples say, hey, let, let's roll. And so they get in this boat, and they're going to go to this other side. And as they're traveling to this other side, they're, they're um, on this lake, right, the Sea of Galilee. And there's this great storm, and they ask, what, what's going on? Like, do you not care that we're perishing? And Jesus obviously proves not just in that moment, but later on in his life, he'll, he'll prove that, that he does care that um, them and us are, are, are perishing. And he, he, he gets them through the storm. Well, as he arrives to the other side, his last week is um, what we saw. He gets to the other side, and he gets to this, this demoniac, this, this man who's full of demons. And he casts out these demons, and we walk through that story. And he literally gets off the boat casts out the demons, has this conversation with this man, and gets back on the boat, right? And he tells the man, essentially, hey, go. Like, go to your friends and tell them about what I've done for you. And so he just goes to that side, just for that man, boom, done, right? He gets back in the boat, and he goes to the other side, and that's where we pick up our story today. Mark chapter 5, verse 21. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him. And he said, and he was beside the sea. So that crowd that had left before, the reason he got out of the boat is now around him. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogues, uh, the synagogue, uh, 
you know, I, I've heard this like pronounced, and I'm going to go with Charles's because he's getting his master's in theology. So let's go with what he says. Jairus, by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet um, and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him, and a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. So here, here's this idea. Jesus gets off the boat, just um, going through a storm and casting out um, all of those demons, that legion of demons. He gets back on the boat. There's a, a bunch of people. Well, in the midst of these people, here comes this ruler of the synagogue, Jairus, and he, he comes down and he lays himself down. Now, this is big because if you've been in the Gospel of Mark with us, you know this is a, a bizarre encounter because what have we found from the ruler of the synagogues? What have we found um, from the people who are in, in power? They are and very intentionally have made themselves enemies of Jesus. They do not like what Jesus is about. And here you have the president of the board, the ruler of the synagogue, comes to Jesus now and he lays down before him with this plea. And and his plea um, goes, as it says, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And uh, when he went away, a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. So he, he lays before Jesus and says, hey, my daughter, and, and literally I can say she's holding on at the end. Like that's what it's literally translating. She is, she's like, she's going to be put into hospice. She's not going to make it. And so um, come help, please. And Jesus says, let's roll, right? So let's go. And so um, Jesus and, 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 and the, the ruler of the synagogue get up and they begin to go and there's a bunch of people. So What's crazy about our story is there's kind of um, two different encounters here because as they go, we got to kind of pause on Jairus' story. We got to pause for a second because all the people that are around him, someone else comes up at the same time. And this is um, what we find in verse 25. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years, who had suffered much under many physicians and spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. So as Jesus is going with Jairus, they're going in the crowd. There's this woman who looks, sees Jesus. And again, she's suffering. And and, and I'll quote it here. It says, she suffered much under many physicians. So we kind of know three things about this woman. She has a female condition where there's a a hemorrhage of type and she's had blood flow for 12 years and it can't stop. And um, it's it's crazy because here she is. She just wants this to stop because it's it's ostracized her. Uh, if you read Levit- Leviticus, she's considered unclean at this point. So she can't. It's not that she just has a medical condition. It's that she can't even come into the city because she's unclean. So if she comes into the city, people are to stay away from her. According to, she can't go into the temple and worship. There is this um, removal of all things that are normal in her life, and it's awful. But 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 what makes it worse is she's been looking for answers. I mean, she's been going to physicians, and the physicians have only made it worse, and she spent all of her money trying to figure all this out. Um, I did some research on this, the the Talmud, which is um, basically a a book on how to do the law. So all the people, all the Jewish people have to follow the law. It's like a how to follow the law. So here's the law. The Bible gives us the law. The Talmud gives us how to follow the law, and it talks specifically about this disease, this, this bleeding disease of a female. And so um, if she has this disease, there's actually 11 cures, which the Talmud is not inspired. It's just a, um, a legalistic way to say, do this, do this, do this. Um, here's some things that this woman has gone through. I want you to just to give you some context here, okay? Here's one of the things that she, she would have been told to do out of the 11 cures if she couldn't figure this out. She's to take Persian onions, three pints of them, boil them in wine, and give it to her to drink and say, arise from the flow. So she's to take certain onions, cut them up, put them in wine, drink it, and say, arise from the flow. 
No, no I, I still have the problem. Okay, if, if that doesn't work, that doesn't cure her. Set her in to two pla- where two places meet. Let her hold a cup of wine in her right hand and let someone come from behind her and frighten her and say, arise from the flow. So now stand at the fork of a road, fork in a road, hold wine in your hand. Let someone sneak up behind you and go, arise from the flow. Okay, and she's supposed to go, no, I, I still have the flow. And so she, she um, doesn't know what to do. Or she could carry um, uh, barley corn, which had been taken from the droppings of a white female donkey, as long as the doctor says. So she could go and um, take the corn out of uh, donkey dung, um, take this corn and hold it as long as the doctor says, I need you to hold that corn for, for three days. Uh, okay. At the end of the three days, no, no, I, I still have the flow. She, she could... Um, also, carry the ashes of ashes of an ostrich egg in a linen bag in the summer, or she could carry the ostrich, uh, ashes of an ostrich egg in a cotton bag in the winter. So for the whole summer, she has to carry around the ashes, ashes of an ostrich egg. Good Lord, that's hard to say. Um, she she has, can hold this in the winter in a certain type, in the summer of a certain type. No, I still have the flow. So she's been going through this, and she's going to these doctors saying, help me. And they say, I got it. We need an ostrich egg, okay? Okay? And she, she's, got, so they, she's been going, and, and now she's only been made worse. Who knows what types of ointments and creams they've tried to apply, and it's just getting worse, and she is spent. And what we know about this, uh, which is crazy, the very beginning uh, part of 27, she had heard the reports about Jesus, so here she is going through all that she's had, she had been going through, and she hears about this miracle worker named Jesus, and so she wants to go see him. And so she hears the reports about Jesus um, and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. Now this, obviously, with the context makes sense, right? I mean, she's been standing in pathways being frightened. Um, it's not that crazy to think if I could just touch the garments of this miracle worker, then I can be healed. And so she has this face. She thinks to herself, if I can just touch the hem of his garments, even um, uh, you, you would find some of this in, in the law, that, that the tassels. And if I can just grab one of those tassels, if I could just touch the hem of, hem of his robe here, that, then I'll be made well. And she touches it. She grabs it and something Amazing happens in verse 29. Immediately, the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you and yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. So the woman grabs uh, Jesus's garments, right? And, and he goes, whoa, 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 whoa. I, I just felt power leave me. Uh, who touched me? But, but we got to remember, there's tons of people around touching Jesus. They're all trying to touch Jesus, right? They have the faith. I, I believe I have faith, but none of them are, are being made well. And here's this woman who, in the midst of all of this crowd, she touches it. And for whatever reason, even though all these other people are reaching out, even all these other people have come from their cities, even all these other people have all this great faith, they touch Jesus, but no power has gone out. This woman touches Jesus and something miraculous happens. And his disciples go, what, what, are you, what are you talking about? There's all these people touching you. What are you talking, who touched me? No, no, I, I felt power come from me. Now, I just want to clarify that. It's not like Jesus has like 140 points of power and he like went down to 130, right? Okay, it flowed from him, right? So it's not like this, do, 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 do. It's like, okay, I need that back, right? He just, he, he has his power flow from him. So, um, so, so in verse 33, the woman knowing what, what had happened to her, so she, she feels this healing in her body. She knows immediately she's, she's well. Um, what had happened to her came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. 
and said to her daughter, this is what Jesus says to her daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. So she, in this moment, explains everything, right? I love it. It says, tells her the whole truth. Hey, here's what I've been. I've gone through this. I've had this, this, this disease or this hemorrhage for 12 years, and it's awful. Please help me, and you've helped me, and this is amazing. And so he looks at her, and I want you to hear what he says, because this is a game changer for us. Daughter, your faith, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. <laughs> I mean, man, the prayer pastor's up there. It's your faith that makes, uh, what do we do with this? I mean, this is something we got to wrestle with for a second. I don't want to shy away from this. The Bible is going to create some tension we've got to live in for a minute. Okay, so this is um, the, 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 the part two of that story. But now we got to go back to Jairus, right? Because as soon as this happens, and we'll talk through all that, I promise. While he was still speaking to her, still looking at the woman saying, go in peace, uh, be healed of your disease, while he's still um, speaking, so these stories are totally intertwined, there come, came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter's dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not be, uh, do not, uh, be fearful or, or do not fear, only believe, okay? Only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of Jesus. Just so you know, the word for faith, every time you read the word for faith in the New Testament and the word believe, it's the same word. Um, it's just the word pistis. It's, it's this, this word that in, um, in one moment, faith is the noun of this word, but it can also be used as, as a, a verb, right? And so the word verb is, is believe. Pistis as a verb is believe, but as a noun, it, it's faith, have faith. And so he says the same thing to the woman, except this, in this moment, he's, he's saying, Let's look forward instead of just look, look back, right? Your faith has made you well in this moment. Believe. Um, and so he, he, doesn't listen. he doesn't listen to the, um, the, the ruler of the synagogue, doesn't listen to the people. Why bother? No, no. Jesus says, hey, don't be afraid. Remember, you came to me. Like, you came to me to look for this healing. Believe. Like, don't be afraid. Don't, don't let fear control. You believed in me before. Don't let the circumstances suddenly control how much you believe in me, okay? So let's go. And so he takes Peter, James, and John, usually the inner circle of what he does. He does this often. In verse 38, it picks up, they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. So Jesus comes in and I want you just to picture for a second, if your child died, like if your son or daughter died just recently, like within hours, if, if they just died or man, if your, your sibling died, what would your house be like? You'd, your mom would be crying in the corner. Like this would be, it would be commotion. It would be hard. It would be, and there's this weeping and there's this wailing. And Jesus comes in and he says, why are you guys crying? He, he's not like, like, he's not like rude. He's, he, he rolls in. Why are you crying? She's not dead. She's, she's asleep. Now, the, the text says they begin to laugh. I don't want you to think it's like they saw him as some type of jester. Like, ha, ha, ha. No, this is way more of a, of a term of, of ridicule. Like, it's as if, oh, yeah, I'm sure. you. Th- yeah, oh, that's good. Yeah, right. Okay, please leave, right? There's this idea of you, you think you can come and tell us, no, she's dead. Okay, and so, so we continue with the story. Um, as they laughed at him, as they laughed at him in verse 40. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother, and those who were with him, Peter, James, and John, and went in there where the child was. Verse 41, taking her by the hand, he said, Talitha kumai, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. So he goes in, and he sits next to this girl, he grabs her hand, and he says, hey, sweetie, I need you to get up. 
right? So it says little girl, and I think that's the proper translation, but this is way more, like if you, you're a King James guy, like old school King James guy, the word there is damsel. Like it's way more of, hey, Evie, I need you to get up, sweetie, okay? Like it's way more of a little girl, I, I need you to get up, honey, okay? Like it's way more intimate than that. So he grabs her by the hand, he says, rise, crazy, she, she's dead, right? Or at least according to Jesus, asleep. And immediately the girl got up and began walking for she was 12 years of age and they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to go uh, to give her something to eat. So, so here's our story because we, we don't have a terrible amount of time. Um, here's two different stories where Jesus um, sees this man, this ruler of the synagogue and how much these stories uh, intertwine is amazing because they both end up bat- falling down. Though this guy has all this prestige and this woman is at her wits end, this man would actually be responsible for making sure she stays outside of the city. Both are kneeling before Jesus. He has a daughter who is, who is dead and she's been alive for 12 years. This, this woman has been in sickness for 12 years and Jesus heals them both and he heals them both in this moment telling them the, the same word believe have faith now to prove it um, the hinge section we're going to actually read into chapter 6 um, that makes this really bizarre and creates even more of a tension as this thing continues to ring together we're going to read the section first six verses in chapter 6 both this week and next week, and hear what it says. Because Jesus heals these two people, and in in verse 1 of chapter 6, it says this, He went away from there and came to his hometown. And his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hand? This is the normal deal. This is Jesus' MO. He goes into the synagogue, teaches, heals, and people are amazed. This is no different than what has been happening in all the other towns. But then what takes place is is absolutely different. Verse 3, is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of of James and, and, and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown among his relatives and in his household. So this is, this is Jesus who's doing these things. And suddenly, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Like, we know that guy. Like, that, that's Billy. He's, he's used to run around the, the, the street. Like, this is like you um, getting pulled over by, by a, a kid who's in your neighborhood who's friends with your child, right? So, like, if, if you're older, you, you know, you're, let's say your kid's like 25 now and he's off to college, but one of his childhood friends stayed in town and the cop pulls you over and it's that kid. And so he pulls you over and he's like, Billy? What, what's Hey, honey, look at it. Bi- oh, hey, Billy. How are you, Billy? He's like, sir, it's good to see you, Mr. Mr. Jones, but... Um, Actually, um, you were speeding quite excessively. Ah, crazy Billy, okay? Sir, I need you not to touch me. I need you to step out of the car. Yeah, right, okay? Look at crazy Billy, right? And he has authority, but there's no respect there, right? So he steps out of the car, and he's like, sir, 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 I need you to stop touching me. I'm going to put you under arrest. Now, suddenly this, hey, Billy, are you serious? Like, suddenly because you want to extend this authority? I thought we were, but, okay. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to put you under arrest. Suddenly, now, now he, you would take offense to that. I, I thought we were cool. I, I know you. And here is Jesus in this moment saying, I've done this and this. I'm God. No, no, no. I know who you are. You're not God. And they take offense to all that they were being amazed by. And then we find 
in verse 4, it says this, uh, or no, I'm sorry. Yeah, in ver- we in verse 4? Yeah, that sounds right. Um, and they took offense to him, and Jesus said to him, a prophet is not without honor. So we just read that, verse 5. And he could do, listen to this, he could do no mighty work there except that he laid hands on a few sick people and healed them. Now this, this becomes crazy. Because like, Here's Jesus, and we just read about him healing a woman with blood, a blood issue and healing, healing this, um, this girl who, who was dead, right? She was asleep. And, and here, like now, Jesus amongst his, his own people, and, he, and, and it says it, he could do no work there. Matthew says he wouldn't do, but we're, we're, we're in this gospel right now. He could do no work here. We've got to wrestle with this for a second, and let, let's hear why he couldn't. Verse 6, and he marveled because of their unbelief, and he went about among the villages teaching. This is the first time that we see Jesus be amazed. Are you serious? Like, you just saw what I did in this hometown. You, like the woman, have heard the stories. How do you not believe? Literally, this, this, this word is, is where we get the term thunderstruck from. It means struck by something outside of you. Jesus says, whoa. You, the, the first thing that we find in the Gospel of Mark that amazes Jesus is lack of belief, is lack of faith. So just to be fair, so we don't lose the force in the trees, we have three pretty specific stories, right? Two, where there's not perfect faith, very imperfect faith, but they have enough faith to be healed. And then another one, where they don't believe, he, he marvels at their unbelief, and so Jesus doesn't do miracles. He, he doesn't do this. this. This creates a conundrum for us because it does sound like for a minute that the word of faith movement, the prosperity gospel, is right. That your faith does control what Jesus can and, and can't do. Now, I, I would be a fool to talk about faith and to go at what it is and not do what fathers um, of, of the word if, if preachers of the word before me have done, and that is go to Hebrews 11. And so I want everyone, if you can, turn to, to Hebrews chapter 11. Um, it probably won't be on the, the screen because I didn't give it to Josh. Um, so that's my fault. If you need a Bible, they're on the side. I want to read this, and I want us to get behind um, what's happening, okay? Uh, and, and I hope that this helps because I, I, I think um, it will. And so here's how we can understand this faith thing, and then um, we'll begin to wrap up. I my watch broke about 10 minutes ago, so I have no idea what time it is. So here we go. Um, uh, chapter 11, this is what it says in Hebrews chapter 11. If you know where Hebrews is, it's towards the end of your Bible, um, right before James, and, and uh, it's probably four or five books back uh, from the back. Okay, this is what it says. Uh, James 11, verse 1. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So if you're, you're in the premise of, of understanding these stories, that it is their faith here, well, what's the first thing that we, we get a glimpse into? There's a clear definition of what faith is. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Faith is this, I believe that, that whatever is hoped for, I, I have it. It's the assurance of things hoped for, okay? Um, the conviction of things not seen, right? Now, let's keep going because he's going to explain this more. For by... For by it, talking about faith, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understood that the universe was created by the word of God, so that um, what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Okay, so um, just to be fair, and this obviously, I don't think this is a science book, but we would go as Christians, we would go, listen, there are things you can't study because there are certain things that were made in this universe that were made out of things that are not in this universe. 
So you're forced to kind of step back in Hebrews and go, okay, whatever things are created was made out of something that was not created, okay? Now, how do you know that? Well, I have faith. It's by faith that I believe that's the case because I can't test it. I, I, can't, what am I, I can't put it in a lab. So, so I'm forced in this moment to have faith. This is what faith is. It's, it's believing um, uh, the things that I cannot see. It's, it's this hope and trust in the things that I can't test. This is what faith is. Now, this becomes real difficult. I have gnawed on this all week trying to process what this is, and I hope that it came to an answer while I was shaving last night. So this is um, verse 4. Then it begins to talk about this faith, and I think this is where it's going to be helpful. We're going to read the entire chapter, except I'm just going to um, go over this because we don't have a terrible amount of time. What's going to happen in the rest of Hebrews chapter 11 is talking about men in the Old Testament who live their lives according to this idea of faith. And so um, just a couple in verse 4, it talks about this man named Abel who offers a sacrifice in verse 5. This man named Enoch who ends up living a life worthy of God. They did this by faith, right? Um, It's impossible. Verse 6 says, with Without faith, it is impossible to please him. Forever, um, whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those whom seek him. Verse 7, by faith, Noah. So you know the story of Noah, right? Noah did that by faith. Uh, verse 8, Abraham. You, you know the story of Abraham, right? He, he goes to sacrifice his son, if you don't know it. Verse 11, Sarah. Sarah is Abraham's wife. She believed that she can have a child. Over and over, we find you continue to go through this in verse 17. Again, mentioning Abraham, verse 20, Isaac, 21, Jacob, 22, Joseph. Joseph, 23, Moses, 29, all the people with Moses, right? By faith, the people in 31, by faith, Rahab in 32. We, we, he goes on to say this, and this is where we'll start picking it up. What more shall I say? As he's told all these stories who live by faith, what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, uh, Japheth, um, of David, Samuel, and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms and forced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Listen to what faith has done. Faith is the reason in this moment that Moses has, it is by faith that the seas part. It's by faith that Abraham in his old age has a son. It's by faith, it's by faith, it's by faith. Every time you're reading these stories, it's by faith, it's by faith. And listen to what he says. Man, they conquered kingdoms, they stopped swords, they shut the mouths of lions, they shut up fire over and over and over by faith. How great is faith that provides this perfect, unending love by God to do these amazing things. And then we find in verse 35, women receive back their dead by resurrection. This is by faith. But then the text turns. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mockery and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats and destitute, uh, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world is not worthy, wandering about in the deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. Verse, Verse 39, and all these, though commended through faith, their faith did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. So, so suddenly it's not just shutting the mouths of lines or stopping fire of the sword. It's by faith, some were sawn in two. By faith, some were tortured. By faith, some people lived in the desert and died of starvation. By faith, they trusted. But by faith, you know, he says it's, they, that, that, that he's looked at and it's not even, that the, the world's not worth like their existence. They, they shouldn't get to, because by faith, they, they saw this. So, so for a minute, we get a glimpse in that faith does not just provide this, you drive a Lexus, but for some, by faith, 
provides brokenness. But by faith, as Job would say, he, 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 he both breaks and he heals. Like by faith, these men and women didn't just see the great things, but here's what's awesome. Listen to this. By faith, wandering about in deserts and mountains and the dens of caves, and all these, though committed through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Some of them didn't get to see the good side of what their faith offered them on this side of glory. Some of them did die. Like, like some of them did suffer. Some of them were tortured. So, so this, is, this, is, this is creating tension suddenly because if it's by faith, you want to be healed and Jesus is healing. This is what it says in chapter 12, right? We're, we're almost done, guys. Stick with me. Therefore, because of everything we just read, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, all the people he has just talked about, such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside the weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Here it is. Here's our our money verse. Verse 2, looking to Jesus, hear this, the founder and perfecter of our faith. So here is a woman who has a flow of blood and she has no friends. And if they, she does friends, they're probably leopards on the out, lepers on the outside of the cat camp. She could have leopards. I don't know. Um, she, she had there on the outside of the, the, the camp and, and, and she has, so she's ostracized and she, she, she can't engage with anyone. So here she is looking to Jesus. And we're told in chapter 12 that Jesus is the founder of their faith, of her faith. He, he's the one in this moment that provides this faith. He gives it, but not only that, he continues to sanctify that faith. So suddenly the idea of you having faith is completely taken out of you. So here you are. I dis, I've got cancer. I don't want to die. I want to see my kids graduate. And I'm trying to believe. Help me here. But in this moment, belief doesn't mean rescue out of that tribulation, does it? Right? Because we're to have faith in Jesus. It's not this amount of faith that we're conjuring up. It's who we have faith in. So in this moment goes, Jesus, I trust you. I, I trust. Ironically enough, is the same exact word in English that we use for believe and faith. It's the same Greek word. In this moment, I trust you. And so there's people going all around him, and they're, they're reaching for him. But is, is there, there's, there's this trust that, man, for some, he doesn't heal. But do you trust, do you have faith in him? Faith is not this way for you to incantation, gather up and build up, and now suddenly you have the God of the universe in your hand. No, 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 hear me. Faith, at least, and we're told in this moment, is to trust in Jesus, the one who's given you that faith and continues to perfect that faith. He's the author of it. And to continue to rely on what he wants to do in your life. Okay, um, here's, let's, let's totally wrap this up. I've said this like four times, but let's wrap it up. When we don't see faith like this, and, and I'll explain a little more what I mean by this. When we don't see faith like this, we get mixed up in our story, the backwards nature of what was happening before they did put their faith in Jesus. And, and, and this is where we have to look at our story as, as, as a big scope and go, man, there's more going on than just this story because these stories absolutely relate to you and I. Because for some of you, you, you look at this woman and go, that's just so dumb that she would sit at a crossway, whether she's holding ostrich eggs, I forget at this point what she's supposed to be holding, and someone would scare her. I mean, that's ridiculous that she would take onions and wine and, and make this declaration that, that, that she has. That, that's, it's almost as dumb 
as trying to fill that huge void in your life with a relationship. It's almost that dumb. Like, it's, it's almost so silly to, to look at this story as she goes over and over. I'm trying to find it. I'm trying to find answers. No, okay, okay. Do you have an answer? And we go, what, what is she doing? Like, why is she doing? And I would say, what are you doing? Well, why? Like, you continue to go about searching, and yet at the end of it all, all that you find is you're more spent than when you started. Like, you think that continuing to work and climb up this corporate ladder will bring you this happiness. It won't. Like, if I just had the perfect husband, I would be happy. No, you won't. Because your faith and your contentment spread out, just like this woman, is only going to bring more and more pain. Wives and husbands make terrible gods. Terrible gods. And so here we stand to go like this woman, this and and this. That's us. But, But there's also some of us. Um, who, who, who are like the ruler of the synagogue, right? Because um, we've spent most of our life before we encountered Jesus going, no, 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 no. I've got righteousness. I, I've, I've, I have this. I'm the one who tells the woman she needs to be on the outside of the camp. I, I, I have, by my own merit, I, I, I've got enough um, righteous swag. I, I, I've listened to enough sermons in my life. I, I listen to Ask Pastor John, or, 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 or I'm doing these things the right way. I'm reading my Bible, or I, I don't, I'm a good person. I don't do those things. And because of whatever um, you bring to the table, you think that God is in your debt. But in this moment, he makes both bow. <laughs> Both the legalist and the one who holds a license to do what they want as they continue to search for crazy answers. And yet there's this third group. There's some of us who um, familiarity absolutely has bred contempt. Because we, we look at Jesus and we say, well, that's not the Jesus that I know. Like, I know Jesus, and ironically enough, he looks a lot like a white Republican. Right? Man, that Jesus sure does like justice like you. He sure does have a disdain towards some of the same people you do. That's weird. No, I know Jesus. I know what he's like, and and he loves me for who I am. Man, he sure is okay with all the sinning you do. That's amazing. It's amazing how how you know Jesus, and suddenly we, we see the God of the Bible, and we take offense to him. Who are you to tell me what I should and shouldn't like? Who are you to tell me how I should and shouldn't? Who are you to tell me what I should and shouldn't do? And this is, this is us. We take offense because we're, we're familiar with Jesus. Oh, no, we know Jesus. Yeah, yeah, he's like the founding fathers. I don't know. He's crazy, right? Like that's what our country was built on. We're so this familiar as bread contempt, and we think we know who Jesus is, and we read the God of the Bible, and he is pushing up against your idols. That the security, the consumerism, the commerciality, the, the idea that, that you continue to, to think that your life is about you, he's just rubbing up against that and saying, no, 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 no. That's like you're either in or you're out. There's no in between here. The hardest thing for me to understand this whole faith thing is I'm sitting in the mirror last night and I was really struggling. It was like midnight. Um, I'm shaving at midnight, you know. Um, and I just thought, like, God, how do I explain this faith thing? And then I realized, I have faith. Like, I, I was trying to like, like, trying to, like, figure out if I can explain X plus Y equals Z. And then I suddenly realized, I have faith. Like, and if you have faith, you know what it's like when I say, I, ha- I believe. Right? You go, well, no, no, I'm just telling you, I believe. Like, I have faith. And you know how much we care about this corporate worship. You know how much we care about us doing things as a church. But in this moment, there's this intimate looking at this woman with blood flow and saying, hey, listen, go in peace. 
You've been healed of your disease. There's this moment of grabbing a little girl by her hand, and there's this moment looking you very individualistically. In the, I mean, you know how much I push against that, but looking you and saying, you need to have faith. You've got to believe. And he, for you to believe, you've got to look to Jesus and say, Jesus, and I, I love, we're going to get to Mark 9. Man, I believe, but help me in my unbelief. Because he's the founder and the perfecter of it. See, the idea of faith is that you're going to Jesus, not using Jesus to get somewhere else. And there is the difference, y'all. In one moment, we're using Jesus to heal us of cancer. In one moment, we're using Jesus to make us rich. In another moment, we're, we're using Jesus to get us a car. But faith, true faith, is the means. True faith is just to get us to Jesus. So, um... I have a lot of questions about this, maybe like you. And so here's, here's what I would say, um, and I'll, I'll pray. If you've got questions about what this looks like, um, see Jim Ellis. Okay, let's pray. No, seriously, let's pray. Um, Father, thank you so much for who you are. We love you. We praise you. We thank you for your goodness and your grace. Uh, and this is a tough text. We, we, we're trying to understand what this looks like. It's very active. We, we do have faith, right? Like, we want faith. We desire faith. And at the same time, there's this tension that we live in that we recognize that you are the provider of faith. Matter of fact, you tell us that our faith grows as we read your word. Faith comes by hearing and the hearing of the word of God, that it, it comes from something outside of us, this alien source outside of us. And so um, we pray in the midst of all of that, that we would rely on you heavily, that we would trust in you, that we would, um, we would understand that you are the founder of our faith, you're the perfecter of our faith, and at the same time, we need to have faith and we need to believe in you. And I thank you so much for those in here who have that faith. I thank you for the faith that you've given me to trust in you, to be yours. I know, God, that this is not of my own doing, but it is a gift of God, and so I'm grateful for that. I love you, Jesus. We praise you, Jesus. We desperately, desperately need you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.